Welcome to Let's Get to Work, a podcast with stories of hope and inspiration for people experiencing blindness and vision loss, as well as those wanting to support us. Brought to you by the Employment Committee of the American Council of the Blind, a place where we talk about all things employment, from finding jobs, holding jobs, building careers, and challenging stigmas. Each podcast will consist of interviews with two visually impaired people who have chosen to travel down unique career paths. Thank you for tuning in. Now let's get to work. Welcome to another episode of Let's Get to Work. Our guest is April Seifert from St. Louis, Missouri. April, say hi. Hello, everybody. So thanks for joining us. And I'd like you to start by talking about the work you currently do. Okay. I am, my, my current title is a senior trainer auditor. Um, so a lot of big words to bring that down to what I do. I work for a managed healthcare organization here in St. Louis called Centene. We manage and run somewhere over 40 different health plans across the United States now. Um, so what that actually means, we when somebody goes into the hospital that might have Medicare or um, advanced the healthcare or advantaged healthcare plan through Medicare, Part ABC, those different kinds of things, then these facilities or hospitals will be sending us clinical information from the facility um, for that member's inpatient stay. So we have different programs that we have to run algorithms and and we figure out then what uh, we call medical necessity. Is this person stable? Is it are they medically necessarily still needing to be in the hospital or are they stabilized to have a lower level of care, home care, private duty, something to that nature? That we are then managing that care so it's a less expensive cost that can be managed at a lower level of care that's better for the member. So that's kind of what we do as a plan. I wanted to explain that first, but what I do as a senior trainer auditor, so we have nurses reviewing these charts and I am a nurse, but then I review what the nurses have done. I'm looking at a process improvement strategy, I guess. So I'm combing through all these audits and doing audits and charts and finding trends and, and process improvement. And then I go back and train out our weaknesses and our strengths because we have to abide by uh, NCQA credentialing standards. So I'm kind of that mediator to say, hey, we're, we have to meet the standard, in essence, kind of grading the nurses to make sure that we keep this quota or this level of standard um, on an individual basis. At the same time, doing safe health care to the member receiving care through these facilities. So what is what is a typical day for you look like? I know there's such a thing as a typical day perhaps, but what is, right. you know, what's a typical uh, you know a typical week or day or something that you Okay. Know, that you I'm going to go on a month by month basis cuz we have monthly standards, we have end of the month, you know, deadlines, things that we have to meet and benchmarks. So um I audit, we have about 70 nurses individualized nurses or staff members that I have to audit monthly. And then I have to do those process improvements based on the scores. Um, And I wrote the formulas and I wrote the tools based on our NCQA standards. So I know it quite well, what we're, I'm, what I'm measuring, I guess. But um, so I have a, basically a 30 day turnaround. I have to get all those audits done. I have to look at the data I have to analyze the data and then I have to write up the training 
And through that next month, I have to find the time not only to do all those audits all over again, but then do the training in, in the midst of those audits so we can fix the weaknesses that we have had prior to. So I use a lot of Excel, um, a lot of formulas um, to get the, the scoring methodologies of it. So there's a lot of research that goes into it. I would love to say that my day is only an eight-hour day. Um, on a good week, it can be an eight-hour day. Toward the end of the month, it's a 12, sometimes a 16-hour day. Um, there's myself and now one other person who does the very similar role as I do because of the growth of the company. But um, it's just the two of us that we have to tackle this now for three years. It was just me. So those days got long because, you know, the end of the month is going to roll around and it still had to be done. So, yeah, no, that's always intense, right? End of the month is always a difficult time sometimes yes. uh, for many, many careers. Can you briefly say what NCQA stands for? Sure. It is our national certification for quality assurance. And that's sort of the, the national standard that that healthcare providers need to have to uh, live by, so to speak? Yes, pretty much in this line of business, it is. Yes. Okay. okay. All right. So uh, let's, let's talk about sort of how you got to where you are. Um, so you were, as I understand things, you were born sighted, right? You weren't Correct. blind when you were born. Born. Okay. So talk about your, your experiences while not blind. So talk about what you did and, you know, the kind of work you did and then we'll, we'll go from there. Okay. Um, I lost my sight, um, very rapidly at the age of 23. I had, um, been a nurse for almost two years. I have a bachelor's of science in nursing and, um, young, ambitious, single, at that time, if you can believe it or not, um, if I'm going to give my age away, 1996, there was no shortage of nurses. So you kind of went to where there was a need. Um, I worked at a small hospital about two hours outside of St. Louis to start with. And then there was a need in Enid, Oklahoma. They did not have a lot of bachelor's level nurses there. They were more uh, associate degree. And I said, I'm young, I'm single, why not? Let's go do this. Because my end goal was I wanted to be a nurse practitioner, but I knew I needed to get the foundation. I needed to get my feet wet and get a lot more experience. So I thought I would do that for a couple of years, maybe do some travel nursing and before I entered my, my advanced career goal. Um, that wasn't the path for me at that time. So like I said, I was working at a... Um, general medical surgical floor in Enid, Oklahoma at a hospital there and just getting my experience uh, when I had the, the medical issues that caused my vision loss. So before you go any further, talk about what a nurse practitioner is compared to a regular nurse. So a nurse practitioner is a step above just a bachelor's prepared nurse, but it is a step below a doctor or two steps really, because you have, you can be a uh, physician's assistant. But so a nurse practitioner, you have uh, more diagnostic skills. You can do more tests. You can write scripts and, and give medications. You, a nurse practitioner has to practice under a doctor. So they have to be practicing under a licensed physician and kind of can pick up the pieces for some of the not so extreme kind of cases. So um, nurse practitioners can do a lot of OBGYN clinics kinds of 
um, exams and things like that. So okay. it's it's one step up, but not quite a doctor. <laughs> so you're working towards this nurse practitioner thing. It's a worthy goal, and you're in Oklahoma, and you're doing your your good deeds. And then what happens? Uh, I encountered a blood clot or blood clots in all three sinus arteries in my brain. It's three of the major arteries in your brain um, that clotted off that caused excessive amounts of pressure, crushing my optic nerve. So um, leaving with me with bilateral optic nerve atrophy and complete blindness. It uh, wasn't just the blindness though. I spent 102 days in the hospital, 70 of those days on a ventilator in ICU. A lot of it I don't remember because of the head trauma, but I do know when when I did start having memories and knowledge of where I was and what was going on by then, it was kind of going to sleep sighted and waking up blind. So how was that like for you? It was a challenge. It was difficult, not just... Um, I had to fight back both physically, you know, mentally, um, because I had deconditioned. So I had to go to like physical rehab actually in in Columbia, Missouri. (laughs) So, and then I went through a vocational retraining program for the vision in Kansas city, Missouri, many, many years ago. But I, I kind of had that loss of who I was at that time because, ever since I was a child, I just always knew I wanted to be a nurse. I wanted to be in healthcare. And so lying in that bed for so many weeks and months and, and going, now I've lost who I am. I'm no longer a nurse. Who, who am I? So I kind of had to find and redefine myself, um, but also had a lot of supportive caretakers while I was in the hospital, which while I was lying in the bed on a ventilator, I started thinking, well, here's a social worker, then maybe I don't need sight for that. Or maybe I can do this. There, there are so many other avenues I had to, even while I was on event, started thinking about, I can't be a bedside nurse anymore. No one's going to trust me with needles <laughs> at this point. So um, I really started, even before leaving the hospital, creating and thinking of other ways I could still be who I wanted to be. So you leave the hospital presumably had some sort of rehab training or learned some skills. Correct. And when did you think about getting back into the job market? Um, It was daunting to say the least. So um, rejection after rejection after rejection. To say I got lucky in some areas I did, but it was an uphill battle all the way. Just quickly, what kind of rejections did you get? What kind of jobs are you applying for? You know, at that point, uh, and a little rebellious too. So when I was in Kansas City, even the voc rehab training, they're like, oh, on average, it takes someone six months to a year who's visually impaired to get a job longer than those who are not. Um, Pretty stubborn. I took a job with Easter Seals, pretty much answering phones as part-time within a year of losing my vision. Um, So it's pretty stubborn, but I didn't stay there, uh, much like the last guest is that it wasn't for me and it wasn't the right place in the right time as I was still trying to figure out who I was. Mm-hmm. Um, so I left that and moved back to the small town my parents live in to try to regroup for about 10 months. And uh, my roommate and best friend from college worked at uh, Barnes Jewish Hospital here in St. Louis, which is a major medical center. And kind of through word of mouth, she talked to her boss's boss who talked to her boss's boss. And and I can say now there are three people who have been very instrumental 
in my career and helping my career along. And one of those was her boss's boss who said, I can't promise anything, but let me meet her. And so July of 99, I got an interview and it was October of 99 that I got a part-time job at the hospital um, where I worked for about five years, very much part-time doing um, research for head injuries and stroke studies. About two years into that, though, I thought, this is not my future. I cannot be doing this. This is not what I, this is not the healthcare I want to do. Um, so I went back to school and I got my master's degree in, in social work. So I have my MSW because while working there at Barnes, I thought I can be a clinical, licensed clinical social worker, still be working with patients firsthand on the floor. Mm-hmm. So that was my goal then. I redefined where I wanted to be. You got your degree in social work. Correct. Which is a major. Yeah, you had internships, presumably, with that. because Correct. Uh, and then, so then what happened? Back in, you know, 2000, 2001, only 10, 11 years into the ADA, technology um, still had a long way to go. And it still does have a long way to go. Um, Barnes was not set up tech- for a technology for JAWS as a JAWS screen reader user to do a clinical social work position there. Um, So that just was not feasible. About one week shy, five years into the position though, after getting my degree, the the research grant had kind of ended. So then I was unemployed. Um, When I and for this is a major 17 stories high, six blocks wide. This is a massive hospital when they said, well, we'll try to find something comparable within the system. And all they could come up with is um, working in human resources, answering calls about other job opportunities for the facility. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting here with two degrees and they said the best that they could find for me is to tell other people about job opportunities, yeah. Yeah. not to give me one, but to, so um, I actually declined that and I took my severance and said, let's figure out what my next step will be. So you, so you're going along and you're trying to get your next job. You got your degree, you left a Barnes mm-hmm. and where did you end up? I was unemployed for, um, over a year cause could not get a job. I tried many hospitals. I tried many, um, legal advocates types of things, because during my internship for my social work degree, I worked for legal advocates for abused women. And then I also worked for legal services of Eastern Missouri, working in conjunction with um, attorneys um, who were fighting for the rights of kids with disabilities in the public school system. So uh, fair access to public education, those kinds of things. So I thought, well, let me entertain this route. So um, After almost a year of unemployment there, I went to work part-time again for Legal Advocates for Abused Women. Um, And I have to give kudos to all advocates and all the women who've gone through those issues. It is a very tough job. And I worked there for about six months. And it is uh, mentally daunting on you as well. So knowing that that wasn't something that I was going to be able to be a, make a future of, then I uh, did leave that job as well. Again, back onto the job search because ultimately I wanted a full-time job. Sure. I'm now seven years into my vision loss and nobody's given me the opportunity to full-time job. It was never um, 
my intent to have to use, you know, public benefits. So that was my, what I was striving for at that time. Then I stepped into and took a uh, job full-time for the first time in 2006 with Rehabilitation Services for the Blind, so the state agency. Um, So I became a vocational rehabilitation teacher. Um, Not nursing, (laughs) not even directly related to social services, but they all really combined in and I was able to use multiple different facets of that to do that job. Persons with diabetic retinopathy, I was teaching diabetic education, uh, blood glucose monitoring, um, weight management, those kinds of things that, you know, that led to the persons having the blindness. Um, So although not direct healthcare, it was an amazing stepping stone for me. And I did that for six years. So talk, talk to you about how you got your current job. So The Rehab Services for the Blind and Centene was working on some job promotion initiatives for people with impairments, Um, not just blind, but impairments in general. And I honestly thought when I I thought, I'm going to look into this Centene place because most people by the name of it have no idea what it does. And I looked into it, I'm like, well, this this is nursing. This is healthcare. This is right up my alley and it's not bedside. So I applied. And I got an interview and I thought it was somehow related to the initiative from Rehab Services for the Blind, which is where I was currently working. Um, I go to uh, walk into the, the main building and I use a service dog as well. And the security attendants, I, I think their heads went to spinning because they were aghast that I had a dog in the building with me. I'm like, well this may not go as I expected. <laughs> and then they, I go upstairs and I meet with um, the first person to just get everything set up. And then I go meet with the manager and she had no clue I was blind. She had no, I, it, I got the interview independently, not with any initiative by Centene or rehab services. And she, again, this is the second person in my life that had an open-minded thought process. And I interviewed with her and she said, uh, I've been having a hard time getting enough applicants or qualified applicants and trying to show her my technology and thinking already in my head that this is a lost cause. She had no idea that the only reason I'm here is she can't ask me to leave legally. And then I'm, and I'm opening up the computer and trying to show her, she goes, I don't need to see that. And I'm like, oh, I'll just go <laughs> kind of thing. And uh, she goes, no, she goes, you're the most qualified applicant that has come through this door so far. The rest is IT's problem. And that, that, that's amazing. I mean, I, that, I, but that's amazing. So, so what happened? So you, you, what did you, what did, what did you think and feel when that happened? You know, I amazing comment. was amazed. I yeah. was, I, I, I you know, I just kind of walked out and stood there and I said, did this just happen? Because this has not happened since I was cited. I have not had somebody just openly going, you are qualified. I want you. Now, it wasn't immediate. I had to go back three different times, meet with the IT people. I printed out everything in Braille um, on how to use Citrix servers and how JAWS worked and how to do this because we had a figure out, make sure everything was going to sync up system-wise. So on the third time I was showing them all this, so I had to do all the legwork. 
And even when I got hired at Centene, I was still using my own JAWS software because I was the first visually impaired person that was employed there. My own license, my own software. I did that for goodness three years. But on the third visit, here's five IT brains surrounding me. And I've showed them everything. We've got it to marginally function. And um, because I use multiple different programs to do my job, it's not just a word processing program. It's multiple different algorithm programs and things like that. And finally, one guy goes, I mean, it was like dead silence going, can it, is this going to work? And it took one guy to go, yeah, I think we can make this work. And then after that was said, I went into the HR department just five minutes later and signed the paperwork and was employed. And that was on September 17th of 2012. So you've been working. You've been working there for about almost nine, nine years. years. Yes. Nine years. So we have about five minutes to go, and I need to ask you at least two more questions. Uh, the first is: Can you talk a little bit about how the technology has worked for you? What what accommodations do you have? How do you use technology? What you know the sort of the standard technology okay. questions. Um, I, I use Jaws um, as is my main screen reader. So we've it, it's been painful. Um, it has been an uphill struggle and Centene has, is, is coming full circle with it. So I've had a lot of workarounds, a lot of things that weren't quite functional that I had to really do my own legwork for a long time because the company, when I started, had like 9,000 employees. Now we have 70,000 employees. Yeah. So with the growth of the company is coming more support. But um, now they're kind of actually kind of using me as a SME with uh, the visually impaired the access services. So I work with them very closely now and we work through problems that we have. And, and um, there are still some things, you know, uh, charts that we have to read that were with handwriting. Um, I will have to ask a peer sometimes please decipher this because it, even if they scan it through, it's still handwriting. And as we well know, not much reads handwriting yet. So um, it's getting better. We're going very much more high speed tech. So I do the, um, there's a program we call called true care, which is all of our database charts. So I log into that and that's our members that we provide services to It's all their clinical medical records. And just Last year, it went to an 8.0 version that is actually much better than what I had to use before, which was doing through a flash player. So, um, so seven, eight years with less than optimal. So, but as I tell them, I want to be part of the solution to help it make it easier for others, not part of the problem. So I jump in and try things and help them because I want to make it for where a lot more visually impaired nurses can get a job. So just for the record, SME stands for subject matter expert, if my memory is correct. Is that correct? correct. Okay. Yes. So I'm sure we, we understand our jargon. Sorry. So that's okay. Uh, at the beginning of this interview or, or toward the beginning, you talked about having to find a new identity when you lost your sight. Uh, what is your new identity? I am a woman. I am a mother. I'm a spouse. I'm a daughter. I am a nurse. Where I used to put nurse first, I put all of those others first now because honestly, as much as my career means and as much as I have fought for it, the hardest job I've ever done is is being a mother to my two daughters. And I will try really hard to set that example for them to know that anything is possible um, regardless. So, but I'm a peer. 
I'm an advocate. I can go on for a lot of those things. I'm all those things now. I'm not just defined by one thing. Yeah. So uh, one, one other, one last question for you. What advice would you give to somebody might want to uh, say five years behind you, you know, was mm-hmm. a healthcare professional in some kind, in some capacity, lost their eyesight or s- something happened. What advice would you give them to help them find something new in their lives professionally? Look at the bigger picture, um, especially healthcare. It is not a tunnel career, especially now, whether it's research, education, training, um, what have you. There, there are so many avenues that it may not be the exact thing you are doing, but it branches so widely to so many opportunities that don't give up, don't don't stop and say, I have to switch or I can't be that anymore because there's always a way um, that you can. It, it, it Everything has broad areas to have abilities. There is actually another nurse who is very low vision, works with the plan that I work in, and I feel like I'm um, able to mentor her now, not just with the career, but family and um, future family planning and kids. And cause she said, I don't think I can ever be a mom. And I'm like, yes, you can. And, um, you know, you can be all of those things, but she turns to me a lot with the career and the technologies that she's having to learn now because she's only two years into her vision loss. So mm-hmm. I feel that there is a rhyme and a reason for where I'm at and for how I can help. Well, thank you so much for, uh, sharing your story. It, it's taken a lot of hard work, a lot of sounds like you had to go in different directions to end up where you were. And what I find striking about your story is it really took, when it comes down to it, it took two or three people who took a, a calculated risk. Yes. To, and, uh, and that's what our goal is as blind folks or disabled folks is to find those people. Yes. And that's the responsibility of the folks who are interested in, in supporting us is to be, to find people who are willing to take those calculated risks. Yes. Um, so, much. April, thank you so much for thank you. Uh, spending some time with us, and we wish you well as you continue your work at Santini. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Let's Get to Work, a podcast from the Employment Committee at the American Council of the Blind. Have questions, episode ideas, or feedback? Feel free to email Brooke Jostet, the committee chair, at B-R-O-O-K-E underscore J-O-S-T-A-D at Comcast.net. Until next time, work it.